All right, thank you very much, gentlemen. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. And while you're turning, we'll let the children go. A grades third grade down through four years old, I think. If that's not what it's been all week, that's what it'll be tonight, because that's what I said. Uh, but I think that's what we've had, ages four through third grade, and uh, let the children head out this evening. On this final night, I want to say a special thank you to all of you here at Foss Storia Baptist Church. It's been a blessing to be here. I appreciate your friendliness and your uh, hospitality and your kindness. Uh, my wife always uh, checks on me to make sure that I'm not starving and that I'm in good company. And I'm proud to tell her I'm definitely not starving and I've been in great company all week. And appreciate that. What a blessing it is to uh, see the Robertsons. I have to get used to seeing them married because most of their lives that I've known them, they were single. And uh, so anyway, I noticed they really enjoy married life and uh, that's good. And uh, so good uh, to see them ministering here. And I also want to say a thank you to the students uh, that we have at Ambassador from this church. Uh, this, this last year, this past school year, it finishes up uh, next Friday, a week from tonight. Uh, we have uh, students from about 30 different states, uh, five or six foreign countries, and probably about 110 or 105 different local churches represented uh, in our student body alone. And so we've got a good representation from here at Fostoria, and I, I want to encourage you to pray for those college students. Uh, I think about uh, Joey as he's newly married. I told him, I said, my soul, boy, you're going to have a busy year. And it's certainly been, I'm sure, a growing time for him. And uh, Allison is there our way, and then the others as well. Uh, we're just delighted that they can be with us. So pray for them. Uh, they'll be finishing up this next week. And uh, some heading home from the summer. Kristen uh, will be traveling with our ladies trio that'll be traveling this summer. So it'll be a busy summer for her. But I do pray for all of the uh, college students from the church here. And uh, Pastor, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a great blessing to be here. We've looked forward to this meeting and uh, just appreciate getting to uh, know him a little bit more. A mutual acquaintance that we had uh, in Virginia. That was really my first connection with Pastor and then uh, the Lord moving him out here in Michigan. And uh, I told him, I said, boy, going from the D.C. area to Fostoria, that's been a big lifestyle change, hasn't it? But you know, he hasn't lost his... His, uh, his vitality or his zeal. I, I don't know how some of you keep up with him. Uh, I do well to do it myself. And, uh, but anyway, it's been a blessing uh, to be able to be here. Stop by the table after the service. There's some items from Ambassador. A number of you have grabbed the newsletter. Uh, there's a few more of those left, brochures from the college. And we would love, if the Lord would be willing, we'd love to see more uh, from Fostoria join us in the years to come. So... Uh, with all of that said, I hope you have found tonight Mark chapter 2, and that's where we'll begin reading. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. That's speaking of Jesus. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. 
And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, in the first five verses that we've read tonight, in Mark chapter 2, we learn this very simply, that God takes four unnamed men. They are unknown to us, but they're known to God, and they make a great difference in the life of a man who needed the Lord. And tonight, I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Four Men Who Have Made a Difference. Four Men Who Have Made a Difference. Now, when you look throughout American history, you don't have to go very far in the early founding of our country to understand that there were several men that believed in liberty to such an extent that they were willing to stand whatever the cost, even if it meant their own lives. And as a result, we're sitting in this church service on a Friday night worshiping God. Why? In part because of the labor of these four men. The first one I mentioned tonight is George Washington. George Washington, the first president of the United States. If you'd ever like to read a good excerpt of his life, read the book by David McCullough entitled 1776. And through that year, you see George Washington standing strong uh, throughout that year, enduring the hard, enduring the easy, in order for the, to, to have the birth of our nation. Uh, George Washington once said this. He said, uh, it is the only thing he said that is necessary for the ruling of our people. He said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. That's what George Washington said. Now, I want you to imagine with me if a presidential candidate said that in our day and time. But George Washington, first president of the United States, he said, he said it is impossible to rightly govern man apart from the Bible and God. But we owe him a great debt of gratitude tonight. Another man that I mentioned to you is a man by the name of James Madison. He is not a very well-known founding father but few, and few people recognize this, that Madison was the architect of the Constitution. Uh, James Madison, at the time the Constitution was written, and this blows my mind, he was 36 years old. Tonight I stand before you 43, and it took me till I was 36 to know which end was up. And here God orchestrates this in the beginning of our nation. We find James Madison a man that puts together the Constitution with the help of his peers, and we have an enduring document tonight. Another man that I could mention to you is a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Now, I'm not here to tell you tonight that Benjamin Franklin was a saved man or that he was a Baptist. As a matter of fact, you read a lot about his life, sometimes you shake your head and wonder. But I will tell you this, J Benjamin Franklin heard some of the best preaching of his day when he listened to the old evangelist George Whitfield preach to 30,000 people strong without the help of amplification. You think your preacher has leather lungs. I'm going to tell you something. George Whitfield had leather lungs. But Benjamin Franklin, you find his picture on the $100 bill. His signature would be found on the Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Paris, the Treaty with Alliance with France, and the Constitution. You know one of the reasons you're sitting here tonight is because a man named Benjamin Franklin believed in liberty. But then another man that I mention is a man by the name of Thomas Jefferson. If you ever heard the Bill of Rights, Thomas Jefferson was a major player in us having the Bill of Rights. And the truth is, I've mentioned to you four well-known people that have impacted all of us tonight, whether we know it or not. 
But tonight I'm not interested in recognizing those that are well known. I'm interested tonight in recognizing those that are only known to God. You say, who are you here to recognize tonight? I'm here to recognize four unnamed men. You know what their greatest accomplishment was? Listen to me. It wasn't birthing a nation. It was bringing a man to Jesus. As much respect as I have for our forefathers tonight, as much respect as I have for the beginning of our nation, ladies and gentlemen, with all of that plenty in mind, understand tonight there's no greater privilege and there's no greater joy for the child of God than to bring people to Jesus. And my friend, if we're not in the business of bringing people to Jesus, I dare say that we're not in our Father's business. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And you know what I'm here to tell you tonight? I'm here to tell you if you're here and God was the last person on your list that you have an interest in, regardless of how you feel towards God tonight, He wants to make a difference in your life. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. And for those of you that are saved tonight, may you leave here this evening with a burden to make a difference in the lives of others, just like God used others to make a difference in your life. Now we begin the story tonight by first of all seeing preaching in verses 1 and 2. Jesus comes into the city Capernaum and after some days it was noised that He was in the city. And the Bible says that people were gathered together. It was a packed out capacity. You couldn't get in the windows. You couldn't get in the door. And what was Jesus doing? He was preaching. Now I want to ask you a question tonight. Honestly answer it in your heart. What is your attitude about preaching? You know, sometimes, you ever heard people make this statement, maybe somebody's given them down the road about something, and they say, ah, don't preach at me. I mean, really, in our culture today, preaching has a negative connotation. Teenager, he doesn't want to hear it from his mom and dad. He's like, hey, don't preach at me. Now, I want you to know, we preachers don't take offense at how you take the verb that describes our occupation and use it in a negative fashion. We won't hold it against you. But I'm here to tell you tonight, do you know what? Preaching, some of you say, boy, it makes the days long. Listen to me. There, it could be that when you hear the preaching of God's Word tonight, that it changes your life. It could be the most important thing you hear. So many times people say, all oh, that preaching, I get so tired of preaching. What does the Bible say about preaching? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Now that explains tonight why there are people that are driving by this busy country road on a Friday night here in front of Faustoria Baptist Church. And they're driving by and people see a full parking lot and they think to themselves, what in the world are those poor people doing? Why, there's a lot of other things you could be doing on a Friday night. You could eat a big steak with your family. You could go out and enjoy your entertainment. Why in the world would anybody want to be in church on a Friday night? And by the way, some of those people are the very same ones that say, why would you want to be in church on a Sunday morning? Let me tell you why that attitude prevails. It's because the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Oh, Oh, you're hearing about that man named Jesus again. The world says that is foolishness, but to the children of God, it's the power of God. You show me a man's attitude towards preaching, and I'll tell you a lot about the condition of his soul. 
The Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God, here it is, by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. I want you to understand for the next 30 or so minutes tonight, my goal is not to blow wind. I'll tell you what my goal is. My goal is to tell you some truth that will help your soul. And for some it may be that you're saved tonight. For others you gain a burden for their lost loved ones. But Jesus was preaching. Do you know Jesus was a preacher? Sometimes when I sit beside of somebody in an airplane, I'll do it tomorrow when I fly out of Detroit. Sometimes when I'm sitting down beside of somebody and we strike up a conversation, I'll say, hey, uh, what do you do for a living? And they'll say, oh, well, I'm a surgeon, or oh, I do this, or I do that. And they'll talk about their occupation for a while, and then inevitably they look at me and they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm a preacher. And, you know, I get two kinds of totally opposite reactions. (laughs) The blunt Yankee, if I can say that, He looks at me and he's like, oh. (laughs) Or I get the apologetic, oh, well, that's good. My my uncle, he was a preacher. I've been to church before, or my aunt was a preacher. I mean, they're going on and on and on. They're trying to find everything they can. Oh, do not make me feel badly. But I don't take it personal tonight. Because I realize there are some people, they despise preaching or they're not interested in it, not because of a preacher, but because of the person of whom it speaks, and that's Jesus. But Jesus was a preacher. And you know what Jesus is doing at the end of verse number 2? It says, and He preached the Word unto them. (coughs) We preachers, we can tell stories. We preachers, we can let our personality come through. But I'll tell you what, God has never used a story of mine to change a person's life, but I'll tell you what, He has used the Bible. And listen, I could entertain you and tickle your ears just like a lot of modern day preachers do, and it doesn't help you a lick. But when I tell you what Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now there's a difference to be made there. But here Jesus is in this room. He's preaching. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus is preaching the Word, that crowd better listen. And my friend, I say to you tonight, when you hear somebody preaching the Bible, I'm not talking about their opinions. When they're preaching the Bible, you give it your dead level attention because you know the most important thing that takes place in this church? I'm going to tell you what it is. It's the preaching of God's Word. The choir is not the most important ministry in this church. Some of you say, that's good. We've been needing to get rid of Brother Aaron. It's just we could do a lot of other things. (laughs) Let me tell you tonight, I didn't say that it was not a needful ministry. I'm just saying it's not the most important. I know this young man well enough to know that when he structures a service and he keeps a listening ear to pastor, do you know what he realizes is the most important part of that service? It's when this book is opened. And my friend, it's high time for us to treat with seriousness the preaching of the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, don't expect a lost and dying world to pay attention to the preaching of God's Word if the children of God aren't going to be willing to listen. That's why when I preach, I want people to listen. You know why? Because it's what this book says. And by the way, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Did you know that we preachers actually see what people are doing while we preach? 
Now, I'm letting you in on a preacher's secret. We can tell when you're texting. We can tell when you're bored. Listen, we can tell when you have a medicinal sleep from when you didn't take your insulin and you're just nodding off all the way to just making your bed and laying in it. But what turns me off whenever there's young people talking in a service while I'm preaching, it's not just the personal dignity between the two. It's just because I'm convinced that when you're preaching the Word of God, that's the most important thing to be said. And it's interesting to note, Jesus is preaching. And when He's preaching in that room, that house is entirely packed out. There's no room to get in. Now, I've heard of sellout crowds for concerts and sporting events. But could you imagine a sellout crowd for preaching? I mean, you know, the Detroit Lions, they're going to fleece people for $50 to $100 a seat just for a nosebleed seat. And people will pack it out. You can come to church for free. No pew rent. People of God, you ought to tithe, you ought to give your offerings. That's to be understood, but... You know, it's amazing. Here Jesus is. He's preaching. It's not a rock concert. It's not a sporting event. He's preaching and it's packed out capacity. And I believe everybody tonight ought to be eager to hear what God has to say. But then number two tonight, we find a problem. Here's the problem. You've got a man who's sick with the palsy. He can't move himself. He's paralyzed. And then so they're going to bring him to Jesus. And when they bring him to Jesus... There's nowhere to get him in. They didn't just bring him to Jesus to glance at him. They brought him to Jesus for Jesus to heal him. So there's two problems. The first one is the problem with the man himself. He has the palsy. He cannot move. He cannot go to Capernaum. He needs somebody to take him to where Jesus is at. Now, I want to tell you tonight about this man's problem. There's two things we can learn from it. Number one, we can learn this, is that every one of us in this room has a problem. You say, preacher, I didn't come here tonight for you to give me bad news. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to appreciate the good news of the gospel, you better understand the bad news first, or you won't understand why you need the good news. You say, what is the bad news tonight? This man, he's sick of the palsy, but I'm in an auditorium full this evening. We're all sin sick. We were born sinners. Mama didn't have to teach us how to lie and cheat and steal. That came naturally. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is no psychologist, there is no professional that can tell me otherwise. When God's made it plain, there's nobody in this world that is perfect and we're all born in sin. And that's why all of us need a Savior if we'd be break our stubbornness to admit it. But here this man, he, he was sick of the palsy and we find that he was not apparently a saved man because later on we're going to see Jesus pronouncing forgiveness upon him. But he couldn't get himself, he couldn't get himself to where Jesus was at. He needed some help. There may be some of you tonight, you're here by an invitation of a friend. Maybe you've invited a person to an event. Maybe you've had somebody talk to you, just talk to you about your soul. And sometimes it's easy to be offended by that. It's like, what do they think? Do they think I need church? Well, think about it for just a moment. They think they need church. That's why they're going. So, I mean, you know, but we get defensive sometimes. 
There's some people, they're like, oh, you know, I, I, I just can't make it today or whatever. Well, for me, I was, really a, I was really an interesting case. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And you know what? I had to have people, they brought me to church every Sunday. They would wake up on Saturday mornings when they could have been getting their fishing gear ready and they'd come knock on the doors of kids that sometimes are a little smart, sometimes a little coy, a bunch of us were characters. And then they'd come pick us up on Sunday morning, not even know if we were going to come or not. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm glad that somebody was interested in bringing boys and girls to Jesus because that's one of the reasons I'm standing before you tonight. Because I'm going to tell you, in a household that was filled with drunkenness and sometimes drugs and other things, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, I didn't have any hope apart from Jesus. And I'm forever grateful for men that said, we're willing to bring you. But there was another problem, and the problem was the press. You say, the press, what do you mean? Notice with me in verse number 3, verse number 4 rather, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. Now, when you read the Bible, be careful about reading 2018 words. Uh, into New Testament language. You say, what do you mean? Well, the press. When you tell me the press now in our day and time, when I hear that terminology, I think of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, ABC, MSNBC, and you name it. Huffington Post, which is a liberal rag, and everything else. All right? That's not what it's talking about here. Although I will tell you, those, those places of the press today have done a job of keeping people away from Jesus. I don't doubt that because they've distorted Him so much. But what it means is there was such a crowd of people that were around that place. And here these people, they can't, they can't get this man into the house. Could you imagine how disappointing that was? Let me tell you, ambulatory service wasn't back then like it is now. Back now, you just load you up in a stretcher, they throw you in an ambulance that rides like a tank, and you go to the hospital 30 miles, and you're there. Well, back then, it was a matter... Listen, there were no strollers. <coughs> there, was no, uh, there was no modern conveniences. It just grabbed the old boy and towed him, as we'd say in the south, to Capernaum. I don't know how they did it. I don't know. They might all just grab, you grab an arm, I'll grab an arm, you grab a leg, you grab a leg. There's four of us, we'll drag him there. I don't know how it happened, but I know that those four men, they drag him all the way to Capernaum, and then when you get there, you can't get in. Now, ladies, that's like you going to the grocery store. You've got your coupons in hand. You cannot wait to just clean out the store and buy with this tremendous deal, only to get to the aisle and every last one of those items is gone. You could bite a nail in two. You come home weeping. Your husband said you wrecked the car. No, I couldn't buy my sale items. He just shakes his head, says, Honey, it's going to be okay. Well, for this, these four gentlemen, they try to bring that. There's no way they can get him in there. I'd have been disappointed. If I'd have been the man with the palsy, or I'd been one of the four that had to tote him there. But you know what those fellows did? Verse number 4, it says, They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Wow. 
Now, I've seen a lot of things while, I'm preaching, while I've been preaching. One time while I was preaching, I said, you ought not be texting in church. And as soon as I said that, I watched a guy go like this. I've seen all kinds of things in church. One time when I was a service, a man in the front row just passed right out. We closed the service, called the ambulance, and the service was done with. I've seen a lot. But I've never seen all of a sudden while I'm preaching drywall fall from the ceiling and all of a sudden they're just lowering this fellow down through there. I've never seen anything like that. But you know, I'm going to tell you, those four men challenged me because you know what? They had such a burden for that man. Listen to me. They were willing to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being crazy tonight and compromising and breaking the Word of God. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I wonder what would happen if the people in the False Story Baptist Church, everyone was so serious about bringing people to Jesus that they were willing to overcome the Saturday morning blahs to get out the door and tell people about Jesus. You say, what are the Saturday morning blahs? We all have them. Oh, it's been a long week. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm old. Even 16-year-olds, I'm tired. I wonder what it takes to stop us from having an interest in bringing people to Jesus. These men, I mean, they uncover the roof. They're lowering down. Listen, they see the urgency of the hour and they are willing to do whatever it takes. And I believe that they had compassion on the man. I believe that those men could have very well said, Listen, we didn't bring him here to die. We have got to get him to Jesus. He needs to be healed and we're going to do whatever it takes. You know, all of us have our things that we really enjoy doing and we clear our schedules in order to do it. College football comes in Saturday. Mm. I'm going to tell you, North Carolina, it's, not, it's, it's hard to get excited about college football because they don't know how to play. But, oh, I imagine in a place like, oh, college football, you know. And I'll tell you what, boy, we, we say, listen, the barbed wire is around the house between 1 o'clock and 5. Nobody comes in here. We're watching this game. Leave us alone. You go buy the snacks the day before. You get every, Some of you men, maybe it's hunting or fishing, whatever the case. Some of you ladies, whatever you get into, I'm sorry. I'm disconnected from what you really enjoy. You can do what you want to do. And you do what you're excited about. And I believe a missing element in our churches is having an excitement of bringing people to Jesus. What does it take to stop you? It, it, a full house wouldn't stop those men and they dropped him right down through the ceiling. So number one, you see preaching. Number two tonight, you see a problem. But then number three, I want you to see the pardon. Jesus is preaching away. The drywall falls away from the ceiling. I guess they didn't have drywall. It had been mud, whatever the case. And they're lowering this man down through the ceiling. And I'm sure everybody is like, what in the world is going on? And finally, this man, it's obvious that he's crippled. His legs are weakened. He couldn't walk in. They drop him through there. And Jesus, in verse 5, says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, it doesn't always happen in this order in the New Testament. There are times where 
Jesus may address the physical before He does the spiritual, but I find it very interesting. Had all of us been in that room, just spectators looking, we'd have said, we know what Jesus needs to tell this man. He needs to tell him, arise, get up, walk. The old boy's lame. He needs to be healed. But Jesus doesn't start there. You know what Jesus, first thing He said, He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now the crowd would look at that and say, that's a big letdown. That doesn't help you walk to the grocery store. And it's because so often, you know what, the world's more in tune to physical needs than they are spiritual ones. You know, when I, when I was a kid, running was punishment. Now people run for pleasure and joy of keeping their waistbands at a manageable rate. I mean, you know, running's just a lot more popular. Soccer, that's something that's very popular nowadays. I was raised in the wood, backwoods of North Carolina. We didn't know what soccer was. It took me forever in college just to understand what offsides and all that stuff was. But, you know, people have all kinds of things that they enjoy. All kinds of things that they do. And they're very health conscious. I'm not here to say you shouldn't be health conscious. Some of you say, yeah, by looking at you, you need to be as well. Listen, you be quiet. I didn't ask you. (laughs) But let me tell you what the tragedy is tonight. Let me tell you the tragedy. There's a lot of people in this world today, they're more conscientious about their physical condition than they are their spiritual condition. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't afford to neglect your spiritual condition tonight. Because it's eternity that's in the balance. There are people, you say, say, my heart rate is this, and I eat this many calories a day, but listen to me. What good is it to chronicle all of your physical fitness and to be spiritually empty? You know what this man needed more than anything? I'm going to tell you, he needed forgiveness. You're here, you say, I need to lose 20 pounds, and maybe you do. But my friend, you better make sure when you leave this place that you have experienced God's forgiveness. That is the greatest need. And you know, there's one way to get it. There's only one way to get it. Now, this is where some people say, you know what? This is where I think religion is too narrow. People say, you know, I just think, listen, all paths lead to God. Now, boy, doesn't that make you want to just sit in a circle and hold hands and sing Kumbaya? (laughs) You know what? People can be well-meaning, but you know, I'm just going to tell you something tonight. That just ain't true. Not every way leads to God's forgiveness. Now, before you judge me, one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And most of the time I hear that quoted by people who are judging So even according to their own standard, they're not holding their end of the bargain up. But before you judge me tonight, let me just illustrate. Now, listen, the world says there's people in this area that would tell you, listen, if you're baptized, you'll get God's forgiveness and you'll be saved. There are churches that will say, listen, if you do good, you put money in the offering plate and you do the best you can, that's how you get to heaven. There are people, they say, listen to me, you know, you just... Do the best you can. You know, you hear all kinds of things. Give money, do this, do that, and that's how you get to heaven. Just salve your conscience. But the Bible says there's only one way. 
If I told you tonight, I said, I want you all to know something. Interstate 40 will take you right through downtown Fostoria. You're like, Interstate what? I'm like, Interstate 40? Yeah, it runs through North Carolina. It takes you all the way out to Phoenix, Arizona, but it'll take you to Fostoria, Michigan. <laughs> You'd look at me and say, Brother, I'm telling you something. There's no interstate that takes you to Fostoria. And what would you do if I looked at you and I said, you're narrow-minded. You're so narrow-minded. Always lead to false story. You'd be walking out to the car and this is what you'd be doing. You're narrow-minded. Well, you're cuckoo. That's what you'd be saying. You would, wouldn't you? All right, let me ask you a question. If it is foolish for me to say that always lead to Faustoria, don't you think it's foolish tonight for somebody to say always lead to heaven? Especially when Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You notice what it says here? And when Jesus saw their what? Faith. That's the key to forgiveness tonight. You can't get it any other way. For by grace are you saved through faith. The question I have to you tonight is not what denomination you are. It's not how many times you've been in the church in the last year. My question to you tonight is have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging your need because you are a lost, undone person. All of us born that way. We're lost and we're in need of God. We're sinners. And the only way that we can get forgiveness is to place our faith in Jesus Christ and the work that He did for us when He gave His life on the cross of Calvary and He shed His blood for your sins and mine. That's the answer tonight. Said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Oh, I'm going to tell you, forgiveness, that's just a wonderful concept. When you think here as somebody who's the guilty, have you ever felt guilty before? Here you have the person who is guilty, and they stand before the righteous one who is perfect, and they're in need of forgiveness. <coughs> I have three children. And my second and third are like kerosene and fire. They have a way of pushing each other's buttons. And they live for it sometimes. You know, there'd been times where I'd come home and my wife would say, Honey, you need to go talk to these two and I've done all that I can and you're the head of this household so you better go try it. I'd go and I'd hear my daughter sobbing down in the room. She's just sobbing down there uncontrollably. And so I know, okay, I know what happened. Somebody might, and so I go upstairs and there I find the offender. He's laying in his bed. The Legos that he had so meticulously set up are now scattered and smashed because his little sister came up there and did some rearranging and he didn't like it. And as a result, he made her mad and upset. And so I go up and I get his side of the story and I say, what happened? And he tells me what happened. And I've, after my interrogation, I'm satisfied and I'm like, okay, well, I need to get these two back together again. 
And so I carry him down, take him down the steps, and we go into the offended's room. That's my daughter. And when I go in there, she just, as soon as she sees us, she starts wailing. Girls are emotional. I mean, just wide open. I'm thinking as a male, the reason we're in here is to try to fix this. Give us a chance. And finally, I get her calmed down to the snubs. Do you know what the snubs are? (laughs) I get her calmed down to the snubs, and I look at her brother, and I say, all right, let's make this right. And he looks up at her, and he says, I'm sorry. And the moment he says that, now we men, we think differently than women. We men, as soon as that happens, we say, all right. Shake hands, call it even. Well, it's different. He says, I'm sorry. And as soon as he says that, she just, her emotions get out of control again. And it's immediately, breaks out of the snubs. And it's like a fire siren all over again. I get her calmed down and she breaks into the snubs again. (laughs) And finally... After she gets herself under control, she looks at her brother and she says, You're forgiven. And I'm going to tell you what, as a parent, you just walk out of the room, you're just like, Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that's over with, you know. But really, as a parent, you know, when you think about it in hindsight, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you, there is nothing more beautiful than when a human being knows that he's in trouble and he knows that he's lost without God. When he looks up into the heaven and he cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he hears from heaven a resounding, you're forgiven. My friend, you may have come in this room tonight and you've got the guilt of this life all over you. It haunts you. If you could go back, you'd change a lot of things in your past. You can't change the past. And you say, this thing with God, I've never been big about being close to God, never been one to go to church. Listen, if that's your attitude tonight, if you'll humble yourself in saving faith and you call upon the name of the Lord, you can experience God's forgiveness. And you know why this man experienced God's forgiveness? Because four men believed that he needed to get to Jesus and they were willing to do whatever it took. Now before I close, I want you to see the last part of the story that we did not read, but I want to show you the significance of it. In verse number 6, now this is after the man hears, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Have you ever reasoned in your heart before? Some of you are like, that's just like foreign Bible language to me. Listen, get over that. You have reason in your heart. You ever sat at the mall and you saw somebody that looked a little different? And you're like, boy, I'd never wear that. Now, you never said it, but in your heart, you thought it. Every one of us, we've reasoned in our hearts. It's when you don't say a word, but in your mind, you're like, that, that person's crazy. All right, listen to what they're reasoning in their hearts. Verse number 7, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? This is what they're thinking in their heart. They're thinking in their heart, Who does this man think he is, God? Uh 
Yes, he is. But they have a problem because they don't believe that Jesus is God. Listen to me, if you believe Jesus was just a good man or he was a moral man, but he wasn't God, you don't have a Savior, you have an imposter. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Son of God. He's God Himself. That's why He could say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, because it was His right to do so. But they're thinking in their heart, the religious crowd. Who's this man think he is? He's a blasphemer. That's what they're thinking. They don't say it. Now, with that in mind, notice verse number 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. (coughs) Now we read that. Everybody claps their hands. They say, boy, that's a great story. Jesus healed the man with the sick of the palsy. But there's more to it than that. These people are reasoning in their hearts. They're saying, who does this man think he is? They don't say it, but they reason in their hearts. And Jesus looks up at them and He says, why are you thinking these things? Now, some of you still don't get it, so let me illustrate it. Let's say during the course of this message, in the last five minutes, somebody's looked down at their watch and they've said, listen, it is 8.03. Doesn't this man know that there's a lot of things to do in life in Michigan after 8 o'clock on Friday? He needs to be quiet. We've got things to do. You didn't say a word to anybody, you just thought it. And so right in the middle of my preaching, I'm stomping and snorting and I stop And I fasten my eyes right on you. And I say, so, it's (laughs) 8.03. We've got things to do. Let's go hear the corn grow in Fostoria. (laughs) If I looked at you and I started calling you out on the very things that you were thinking, what would you do? You'd be like this. Get under the pew. I'm going to tell you, these religious people, can you imagine if somebody looks at you and they're telling what you said in your heart, even though you never said anything, but here's the problem. Those guys, they just got angry, and then they just rejected Jesus all the more. But Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus knows what's in your heart this very moment. My friend, if you're here this evening and you need to be saved, Jesus knows what's in your heart and He wants to help you. Dear Christian friend, you're here tonight and you know that you've been so consumed with self that you've not been reaching out with other people and trying to bring them to Jesus. Listen to me, He knows that too. God used four unnamed people to make an eternal difference in the life of a man. Why? They were not the most talented. They were not the richest. But they had a burden, they had compassion, and they brought a man to Jesus. What better thing could you do tonight? You know, I'll forever be indebted to four men. Their names mean nothing to you, but they mean all the world to me. One of them is a man by the name of C.W. Plowman. 
What kind of people do God use? I'll tell you what, God uses hard-working, 60-hour-a-week warehouse workers like C.W. Plowden. Every Sunday morning, C.W. would pull up with a do- in a Dodge van, steering wheel poked in his gut because it's just sort of a small compartment. And he'd come pick me up every, morning, every Sunday morning about 9 o'clock in the morning. I'd be running outside, and there's C.W., and his, his eyes, they just sort of droop down a little bit. He's the kind of soul, big man, but kind of soul you'll meet. Every Sunday morning, he'd be like, Hey, man, good to see you. We'll get you to church. You drop a hat, and I'll fight for C.W. Plowman. Another fellow was by the name of Gene Thacker. Gene Thacker. Gene Thacker still is skinny to this day, but I mean, just as skinny, he's just like a zipper. Just stick his tongue out, and it's a zipper. I mean, he's just, he's skinny as can be. And every time you see Gene, every time I saw him, he always had a smile on his face. And I'm not talking about a Joel Olstein smile. Now, there's some people, they have that smile, and I'm like, man, you can't look that way at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd really like to see how you really are. But Gene Thacker, you know what Gene Thacker, I'll tell you what, Gene Thacker, every time I saw him on a Saturday or Sunday morning, that boy would have a genuine smile on his face sitting in the passenger side, and he'd say, well, what you been doing this weekend? And I'm going to tell you something. After being met with sorrow and hatefulness for an entire weekend, it was a blessing to meet men that loved me. There was another fellow. His name was Charles Feltz. Charles Feltz, very quiet man. Charles was never the kind to be the conversationalist. He was sort of the guy whenever they'd visit me on Saturday morning to ride the church van. Charles would be the one taking care of the dogs and other beasts, trying to keep them out of the conversation, and he'd just be playing with them. But Charles, every Saturday morning, he'd come visit me. They'd leave Tootsie Pops on the days that I wasn't there. Some of you are super spiritual, and you say, well, they're bribing you kids to come to church. Listen to me. For a kid that didn't have a whole lot, when I saw Tootsie Pop, I thought, you know what? Those people must like me. When God called me to the ministry, Charles Feltz wrote me a check for $1,000. He said, if God wants you to be a preacher, you need to prepare. I'll never forget him. And then the last man, his name was Harold England. Harold England was a truck driver, drove 40 to 60 hours every week, and this is before Google. So what do you mean? He would prepare object lessons every Sunday for us in junior church, and he couldn't type in anything in Google and Google it. You had to buy books... You actually had to learn from other people how to do some of this stuff. This man, he was a hard-working man, just like many of you in this room, and he would still take time out of his busy schedule. He said, I want to make a difference in the lives of little boys and little girls. I would sit in junior church, and Harold England, he had cowboy boots that were really sharp, pointed ones. There'd be times we'd be misbehaving, and he'd stop in the middle of that lesson. He'd say, hey, boys, 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 looky here. And we'd see that pointed boot, and we just looked at him and said, Yes, sir. <laughs> when children's church was over with, we'd go outside whenever the adult service was still going on, and we'd have to find things to do. Harold England, now when I was a kid, 10, 12 years old, I thought Harold England was 100 years old. He's probably only like 40 or, 40 or 50. Uh, the older I get, my, age of de- my definition of age and older is changing all the time. I'm... A hundred might be getting old now. 
But he looked old back then. And Harold England, he'd say, all right, boys, I'll tell you what, I'll race you to that light pole there and back. And we just cocky 10-year-olds looked at him like, who are you? You're wearing cowboy boots and you're 100 years old. (laughs) And he would beat us every time. You know why those men mean the world to me? I'm going to tell you why tonight. It's not because they're rich and famous. It's not because they have the most talent. No, I'm going to tell you why. When a lot of other people in the world didn't care very much about where I was at in life, those four men did. And Jesus made a difference in my life through them. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a room tonight that ought to be filled with people that desire to make a difference in the lives of others. But as long as you're number one in your life, as long as you're given to entertainment, as long as you're lazy, as long as you have no burden, there will be people around you who die and go to hell that God would have you otherwise reach. My burden is twofold tonight. Number one, there's some of you in this room, you may not have God's forgiveness and God's made it very plain. You can have it tonight by faith in Jesus Christ. But my prayer is also that for every child of God in this room, you'd realize God wants to use you to make a difference in the lives of others. The question is, is are you willing? Are you willing to forget yourself and are you willing to think about others? Are you willing to live for God first and foremost and then reach out to others? Four unnamed men made an eternal difference and you can too. Let's bow our heads together. As our musicians prepare tonight for the invitation, I want to ask you this question. How many of you in this room tonight